welcome to Didian Hawthorne in the In-Between, or DH&I. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz, and you're listening to our podcast about the relevance of literature in the 21st century. Now bookmark that book, and let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Herzlich willkommen zu unserem Podcast. I find today's topic to be a really important one because it has to do with intellectual freedom and the powers of certain states, districts, schools, and teachers governments especially when it comes to what children and young adults are reading at school. Before we get into the hows and whys of banned books, it's time to discuss our show's Patreon. Specifically, I want you to imagine for a second that you're a member of Didion's salon. Close your eyes and picture the scene. You're in a fancy room during the golden hour on a Tuesday evening having tea with the most curated group of literature enthusiasts around. And indeed, being a member of Didion Salon at patreon.com slash relevance of literature gives you access to a monthly Patreon-only podcast and a behind-the-scenes post as well as a one-time literary postcard in the mail. The podcast will include an informal discussion about life and literature, commentary about our Patreon-only book club, and my answers to patrons' questions. Those perks describe just the lowest tier, however, which starts at $2 a month. Again, patreon.com slash relevance of literature to check it out. To start out here, I want to just read out the first 10 books listed on the ALA Office of Intellectual Freedoms website, and as per our new normal, that link can be found at the show notes section of our website at relevanceofliterature.com notes. First, The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald, The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger, The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck, To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, the Color Purple by Alice Walker, Ulysses by James Joyce, Beloved by Toni Morrison, The Lord of the Flies by William Golding, 1984 by George Orwell, Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov. The list goes on and on and in total is over a hundred books long and aside from some of the titles that were listed in the top 10 books includes some of the best known and most highly valued pieces of literature of all time. When I was in high school, I actually went out of my way to read banned books like The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut, and Catch-22 by Joseph Heller. The result? The vast majority of my favorite books from high school were classic banned books. Getting into the history behind banned books, the first place that I started was with a 1982 Supreme Court case called Island Trees School District v. Pico, where books such as Slaughterhouse-Five were put to the test in terms of their constitutional bannability by school districts and local governments. Famously, the defendants explained that the short list of books were, quote, anti-American, anti-Christian, anti-Semitic, and just plain filthy, unquote, which I find to be a really dynamic claim because if the complainers did indeed read the books, then it means that they were as challenged by them as the authors likely wanted them to be, in turn meaning that the books were doing their jobs. That was my personal opinion, by the way. Getting back to the case at hand, though, the court ruled in a 5-4 decision that, quote, as centers for voluntary inquiry and the dissemination of information and ideas, school libraries enjoy a special affinity within the rights of free speech and press. Therefore, the board could not restrict the availability of books in its libraries simply because its members disagreed with their idea and content, unquote. That quote was from Oyas, as linked in the show notes. 
In plain English, all of that can be translated as, the First Amendment covers the right of free speech in America, including the right to freely read, and what is available to read should not and indeed cannot be regulated by the government or public institutions that provide reading materials. Book banning goes much farther than that one important instance in the American South, however, and I've linked a Wikipedia page in the description slash show notes that has books banned by country to illustrate the point that this is an incredibly important and relevant topic. We'll go over one more famous example of book banning and book burning for this episode, though, and that is the banning and burning of books by the Nazi party in Germany. The most notable book burning happened on the 10th of May in 1933 in 34 different cities, and the book burners were students and professors. Blacklists of anti-German, that's a quote, thinkers were developed. The blacklists and burnings included authors such as, quote, Bertolt Brecht and Ernest Hemingway, unquote, two authors we have discussed quite a bit on the show, and, quote, those book bannings stand as a powerful symbol of Nazi intolerance and censorship, unquote. I've linked a site for the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum if you would like to know more about book burnings during the Nazi era in particular, and peruse a little bit about those quotes that I just read. Now, why people ban books is a really interesting part of this whole debate. There are several school systems which have banned the Harry Potter books on the grounds that, as one person from the Washington Post included in their article about book banning, Quote, the curses and spells used in the books are actual curses and spells, which, when read by a human being, risk conjuring evil spirits into the presence of the person reading the text, unquote. As dramatic and maybe silly as that example sounds, it's vitally important in these kinds of cases to listen to the opposition with the biggest ears possible, because oftentimes people articulate some version of the claim that the book they're campaigning against offends some part of their principal identity, whether that be religion, parenthood, politics, or what have you. And while I personally disagree with any instance of book banning, as does the Constitution, according to the case that I cited earlier, in order to keep up with a truly free version of intellectual rights, we do need to understand and review the history behind these kinds of circumstances, lest we repeat them in the very near future. Indeed, after the first book has been banned, there's no telling about the number or type of books that could be equally banned in the future, regardless of the book's or author's positions, perspectives, or messages. That means that even books of disparate viewpoints could be banned, as long as whichever central power behind the banning believes them to be bannable. So what about authors' responses to banned books, and what they themselves think about the legitimacy of their book banners' claims? Interestingly, the only author I was able to get direct quotes from was indeed Kurt Vonnegut, one of my favorite authors, though I tried to track down some comments about book banning from some other banned writers like DFW and J.K. Rowling. As I mentioned earlier, Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five is one of the most famous banned books, and something he himself did in response to his banning is to write a letter to a principal or a person that was really insistent about banning Slaughterhouse-Five. I'm reading excerpts from his letter found at CBLDF, a website. 
quote, if you were to bother to read my books, to behave as educated persons would, you would learn that they are not sexy, they do not argue in favor of wildness of any kind. They beg that people be kinder and more responsible than they often are. It is true that some of the characters speak coarsely. That is because people speak coarsely in real life. Especially soldiers and hardworking men speak coarsely, and even our most sheltered children know that. And we all know, too, that those words really don't damage children much. They didn't damage us when we were young. It was evil deeds and lying that hurt us. He goes on further to say, Quote, if you and your board are now determined to show that you in fact have wisdom and maturity when you exercise your powers over the education of your young, then you should acknowledge that it was a rotten lesson you taught young people in a free society when you denounced and then burned books, books you hadn't even read. You should also resolve to expose your children to all sorts of opinions and information in order that they will be better equipped to make a decision and to survive. I remember reading the full version of the letter a few years ago when I was reading Kurt Vonnegut's all of his works <laughs> in a row basically and I just thought it was so stunning and I thought that his comments on book banning were so thoughtful and so caring and so astute so that's why I read some of his letter. Finally, what can you do if you encounter a book that has been wrongly banned? I would first go to a local situation and ask others in your community about the decision to ban that book. Read the book yourself, first of all, and find parts that you truly gain something from. Talk to administrators and see if you can question the book's banning at the local and administrative levels. If that doesn't work or doesn't seem like your cup of tea, try visiting ALA's website, again, link at relevanceofliterature.com notes, and see what the professional book unbanners can do for you. So, what do you all think about banned books? Have you had any experiences with banned books yourselves, perhaps in high school? You can write your comments at the link in the show notes in the description, and if you're interested in a comprehensive list of other popular banned books, you'll find it in the show notes as well. Alright, that is all for this episode. A huge thank you to our patrons for making this show possible, and I will see you all on Thursday. If you enjoyed the discussion and would like to hear more from us, there is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website, relevanceofliterature.com, under the ongoing series tab for links to our entire back catalogue of episodes. We also have a couple of open surveys that you can find through the links in the description, so if you have three minutes while you're waiting in line somewhere, we would very much appreciate your feedback on our show. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode, and we'll see you next time.